Sing, sweet muses, lend me your voice as I tell a tale that's been told and lost and found again. Lend weight to my words as weight lends worth to glory. I shall speak of the beginning of things and truths hidden by the gods, and given back to man as whispers lost in reeds. Oh, how often your praises, saved for the deathless gods, garbed in splendor and in light, but speak to me now as I tell of darkness before the dawn. Before the gods were, there was nothing. Chaos blanketed all that would be, a void, gasping and desperate. Night hovered over Erebos as an albatross, strangling all where only death could hope to dwell. Here the beginning of all things would be. How long chaos reigned, there are none alive to tell. What we know is that in the heart of darkness, by accords none can fathom, there struck a spark, an egg, born of light, cracked, split into shards of noise and splendor. Eros was born, and from Eros, love, was day-born. Lights crackled into being, trillions of stars among the vastness of chaos. Ordered, chaos became the seed of cosmos, the birth of the universe, of all that was, would, and could be. Being and nothingness stangled for supremacy within the bosom of chaos, as cosmos struggled to be. In that moment, infinity breathed in the aeons, uncreated. The more I had yet to weave, and yet to cut, there was no fate, nor destiny, and anything was possible. In the sound and fury that followed, the great flash of light and love, arrows oversaw a change, the skies turned blue, and then they turned grey. The sound, which before now was formless and red, sounded off as cosmic storms. Eros sent these storms throughout the cosmos. Rain, and thunder, and lightning. Waters covered the face of the abyss. Now, the abyss, the abyss watched and began to ponder. Somewhere amid the dreadful storms, two beings grew. In shapes and in shadows, so awful and mysterious, they bloomed. The Mother Earth, Gaia, formed by the strength and the power of the water, and above her the father heaven, Oranos, spread, harried by the air. Gaia was steadfast and hardy, while Oranos was flighty and cruel. The nature of each was dictated by their shaping. Oranos leered down at Gaia and came down upon her. Would that she could have, she would have resisted his advances, but there was no escape for the wide-bosomed mother of all. From the rape of Gaia was born an age of monstrosities, creatures of massive power and evil, so awful that they could not be named. They spread out across and within Gaia, shapeless, incomprehensible. The monsters pulled and prodded. They tore Gaia from the grasp of Oceanus, the living sea. In this way was land split from water. Yet Oranos would not let them issue forth from her womb. He kept these monsters trapped within. The monsters, in their fury, cleaved valleys and stacked boulders upon stone beds and hewed mountains from them. They changed Gaia from the inside, rearranging her. They went about, echoing the fearsome deeds of timeless Eros, spewing forth storms, shaking the earth and flinging lightning. They went uncontained for ages before the birth of time. Oranos found these monsters disgusting, and he banished them from the burgeoning land where they would dwell in Erebus. Insatiable, Oranos would have his way with Gaia again, and from their second union came the Cyclops, less terrible than monsters, but nothing so lovely as what next would come. They took upon curious shapes, less hideous than those of monsters, with only one eye to see. 
perhaps were it not for this blemish they might have been gods but they were often as simple as they were flawed oronos was unsatisfied with these children of his but to placate gaia he did not cast them off only he demanded that they never cross his path one would have thought oronos tired of disappointment would have quit from gaia but nevertheless oronos would see gaia spawn yet again another brood that last and most fearsome of all the titans finally satisfied oronos took his rest from gaia and left her to mother that which he had sired upon her favoring the titans over all gaia saw one rise above all others kronos was his name in this timeless senseless mass of creation kronos grew cruel and cold and strong he sought an end to the senseless reign of chaotic heavens over a disordered earth he conspired with his mother gaia and between them saw time come into being Kronos wielded his new order to straighten the cosmos. Now the disordered mass that was came into order. One thing now came after another, rather than the potentials of conflicting interests existing in twain. Now Oranos, disoriented, was compelled to face his son. Kronos, time-embodied, did battle with Oranos, the embodiment of heaven. Kronos defeated the Lord of the Heavens, and, in a final act of humiliation and defiance, castrated him with a sickle fashioned in secret by his scorned mother. As Oronos lay bleeding, his blood and semen poured down the face of the earth, and for one final time found solace in Gaia's womb. From this the race of giants came. Now the giants, like all of Gaia's children, were bestial. They had tangled serpents for hair and legs like dragons. Among these giants were to be the Erinyes, the Furies who torment the souls of sinners in life and in death. Reveling in his victory over his father, Kronos took to the bed of his sister Rhea. From their wedding bed came a new race, fairer than the giants and titans. They were to be the first gods. Now Kronos heard whispers on the winds, dour prophecies of his doom. As it was the nature of things, Kronos knew some day that one of his children would overthrow him as he had overthrown his father. Days became weeks, then months. This time had made Kronos wicked and craven, and as Rhea cried out in pain, easing the newborn gods from her bleeding womb, Kronos gathered them up, one after another, and swallowed them. There was one, however, that escaped the clutches of wicked Kronos, conspiring with Gaia, whose progeny had known and caused nothing but pain, Rhea endeavored to hide the last of the gods away. A swaddling cloth was brought before Kronos, filled with a simple stone, and Kronos, being possessed of such strength and immensity, scarcely noticed the difference when he swallowed the lot. And who should have survived but Zeus, the father of all that followed? Zeus was hidden away until he grew, he was told of how Kronos, the father of time, had once been a gentle lord until the cruelties of Oronos had driven him mad. And then Zeus was left alone, but for the company of Amaltea, a great goat, which provided him with the milk he needed to grow strong. From this Zeus learned cunning and wit, and his own heart grew as hard as the stone that had saved him. For he knew that to be king a warrior's heart was required, tempered, unfettered by concern. When it was time for him to go, Zeus took with him one of Amaltea's horns, which should be forever known as the Cornucopia, because it never ran dry. One day he would share the fruit of the horn, the blessed nectar, with the gods, and from it they would grow mighty themselves. Blessed by Gaia, Zeus was sent away. Confronting Kronos, 
who was infuriated to learn his spawn had escaped, Zeus plainly demanded the release of his siblings. Cronos, of course, refused. He would keep what he had, for time conquers all before delivering it to Erebus. Now Gaia lent her wisdom and blessings to Zeus once more, and as a pretext used her wiles on Cronos, whom she poisoned. In the night Cronos took ill, and one by one cast up what he had taken in streams of steaming gore. Zeus shepherded the gods away and told them of his plans. They were skeptical, but fell in line. Knowing that they could not prevail on their own against Kronos without aid, Zeus went in secret to the Titans. He visited Prometheus and Atlas to inquire how the Titans might be defected from Kronos. Prometheus, known among the Titans as the wisest of their kin, sat with Zeus in council. He advised Zeus to seek out the depths of Erebus, where the first of all living things had been banished during the reign of Oronos. The monsters were then inconceivable and possessed of creation-shaping powers of Eros. When Zeus turned to Atlas, the Titan refused to budge and would render no aid. Zeus grimaced and swore to repay this debt to cowardly Atlas when his work was done. Now Zeus traveled clandestinely to Erebus, where a hellish torment called Tartarus had grown, and he released the monsters. Driven mad by the torment, the monsters wreaked havoc throughout the cosmos. Still, they knew Zeus was their master, and they followed him as he waged war against Kronos. Against Zeus's host, Kronos could not stand. Zeus, having harnessed the devastating power of lightning, dispatched his cruel father, and in the conflagration destroyed the most of the titans and monsters. Those that escaped, Zeus returned to Tartarus. The cosmos was free of the influence. The era of the gods had begun. Shrieking in pain to see yet more of a progeny so unjustly treated, and worse, that she herself was given so little respect, she thought, Gaia birthed a tragedy. In her pain and anger she conceived Typhon. Now where the monsters had fifty heads and a hundred arms, this wicked Hydra had a hundred heads and countless arms. Having defeated Kronos, the gods were emboldened and brave. Though the battle was fierce, Typhon was eventually destroyed, laid low by Zeus's thunderbolt. In a final bid to gain some semblance of supremacy through her children, Gaia fomented a rebellion against the giants to attempt to dethrone Zeus as god of the universe. Gaia tended to her gardens and flowered an herb which promised the giants godly immortality. But Zeus knew better. He had gained knowledge of her plans, and he ordered Helios, the sun god, to hide his light for a time. The cosmos was plunged into such a darkness as had not been known since the beginning. Zeus took this time to track down the herb before the giants could, and waged war with the giants before casting them out. Sadly, the war saw Zeus cast his vengeful thunderbolt, and all the face of the earth was scorched and destroyed. The old world was gone. Now Zeus was uncontested, the god of the universe, king of heaven and earth. Zeus established his word as law. He descended from the heavens with his host and settled upon the Mount Olympus to keep watch over his spoils. The gods made some use of the giants and cyclops that had taken their side, and they began to make gardens beneath the sites of their citadels. Then Zeus remembered his promises. He sought out Prometheus and his brother Epimetheus, who had supported him in the War of the Heavens. He rewarded them lavishly and shared in his godly powers of creation. 
he allowed them to spread life about the face of the earth and he sought out atlas who had wished to remain neutral during the war he tasked atlas with an impossible burden he alone should be responsible for shouldering the world upon his shoulders it would be the weight of the world that he had neglected to measure when he refused zeus and now he would never escape before zeus had visited prometheus and epimetheus he himself had made new life before life was born from chaos disgusting repulsive but the titans had brought order and order had made the gods now zeus and the gods had to rebuild the world which was destroyed in the war of heaven zeus made first a race of golden gods in image like to the olympians the shining ones were beautiful and wise and though somehow they were slain their spirits went on to become the guiding angels that led their descendants in dark times for the time that the golden ones walked the earth gardens grew on their own accord and none had use for shelter for there was as yet no seasons but spring eternal zeus next created a race of men from silver and compared to the golden gods the silver men were foolish and vain when they perished there was nothing left they had never had souls then a race of brass emerged brazen and warlike they flew to war with savagery heaving breasts and died ignominiously next zeus created the copper race these were the heroes of great renown who upon death were spirited away to the isles of the blessed to live for all time it was at this time that zeus remembered the sons of iapetus he set before them a task as their reward they should succeed zeus in creating life to cover the face of the earth the task of setting forward animal life fell to epimetheus who assigned marvellous names and gifts to the beasts that zeus had set before him however before long epimetheus was forced to call for his brother perplexed prometheus came to epimetheus and saw the work that he had done majestic beasts roamed the world roaring lions prancing deer running wolves looming bears soaring birds swimming fish buzzing insects and crawling bugs all manner of things had epimetheus ordered about prometheus asked what the matter was and epimetheus pointed to the last beast of burden man at this time man was a husk a gross ape-like thing yet in dignity upon indignity unlike the great apes man had no fur to shield him nor strength to save him he was a helpless witless thing fit only to run and eat the scraps of more savage beasts that had already had their fill prometheus was mortified epimetheus confessed that he had not thought ahead when zeus had given him his tasks and so ran out of gifts to give when he came at last to man thus the short-sighted brother asked the far-sighted brother for help prometheus took his own counsel and looked to the deathless ones the immortal gods there was nothing to compare with them he remembered the golden gods and all that came after he set his mind forward and remembering that the gods would always be made man in their image prometheus taught man to walk upright as gods do and man turned his eyes to heaven now there was one thing missing man was an empty thing he lacked fire in the breast of every god burned a fire bright like the sun a life before life something of the works of eros prometheus stole away into olympus one night and brought fire to mortal man yet something happened man did not use the fire to become wise and immortal like the great-souled gods man used fire to beat iron into shapes into tools this he did in crude imitation of the deathless ones 
Prometheus then realized that he had ushered in the Age of Iron, and that the sons would be worse than their fathers. He had to do something, anything, to save his new and tarnished creation. Now this might have been enough to cause Prometheus's banishment, but there was one more thing he did which invoked Zeus's ire. Prometheus interfered with the worship of the gods. Zeus knew that men living in the Age of Iron would become a brutal and hateful punch. He knew that left unchecked, they would forget the gods, and in time they would meet their end from their own increasingly degenerate ways. In this, man and iron were alike, subject to decay and fracture. Iron Age man was therefore compelled to the worship of the gods. Fear of them invoked them to do right. This was a thing decreed by the Morai, and not even Zeus could change that now. The men of iron would tend to their own end, yet the irony is that they might have been saved had they returned to the gods and rose up as a people against the leaders that had led them astray in the final days. Yet we know these dim days have yet to come, though inevitably they approach, as inevitably as Kronos invited his end when he wound the clock of time. Still, Prometheus watched the humans sacrifice the best of their flock to Zeus. Year after year, the finest beasts were sent to Zeus as burnt offerings among incense and smoke. In his weakness, Prometheus came to think of the gods as selfish. He forgot how rough and niggardly man could be, blinded by compassion he was. One day, Prometheus thought he would allow his co-creation the best of both worlds. He went to the men and told them to take up the glistening fat of their sacrifices and fill them with waste, keeping the good cuts of meat for their own use. Who should be the wiser? After all, weren't the best cuts marbled with a glistening layer of fat? Zeus pretended to be fooled, to test Prometheus's wisdom, which he found wanting. Prometheus, left to his own devices, was content to thwart Zeus at will. When would it end? Zeus had the titan rounded up. He bound him to a great stone, exposed in his chains. There there came birds of prey which pecked out his liver, and being such a one born before time began, he could not die of his own accord, though before long he would beg for a death that Erebus would never deliver. Each day the bird returned to peck out his liver anew, where Prometheus would lay in chains until one of Zeus's descendants would undo this curse. Zeus sent among man a woman then, and the name of the first woman was Pandora. She was created with questions as man had been made for answers. She was sent among man with a box containing all the evils the world would ever know, and Pandora, sweet Pandora, she opened the box and visited evil upon the wicked men who had earned their fate through their deception. Pandora, mortified, tried in vain to close the box, but it was too late. Evil had come, and all that was left for the box to give was hope. Yet not all man was to be evil. Some men were shuttled away to the forest of the north. These later men would call Hyperboreans. None but the heroes would ever visit them in their lands, and their lands, you might know, were enchanted, mystical, being situated close to the hiding places of the holy muses. There the Hyperboreans would always be close to the songs of the gods, and for this purpose themselves become great heroes. The sun would never set on this northern land. To the extreme south would go the Ethiopians, who would inhabit a land of bounty where the food came with ease, and to the outskirts where no man would know to go were the Sumerians. 
these were men who would dwell in darkness eternal and themselves become unknowable to the rest of mankind there was the land and the endless expanse of sea the mediterranean man would try as he might to walk with the gods but as the legends show every generation would drift further from the gods the muses came to withhold their tongues and man would go on to forsake the very gods whose adventures would nevertheless shape their memories in each generation men would seek a return to their homes in the shadows of the gods and by their efforts mankind would be spared these men though they lived with the fear that the world was against them and all that the gods might stand for it was into this world that man born of woman came guided by hope if he was wise enough to find it in a world governed by evil every generation of man would be born in decline knowing that one day the final day would come remembering the calamities that man had only barely survived before he would live another day to wonder when his last one would come and because man had decided that he was too good to live in accordance to the nature the gods had allowed him <sighs> which day shall be last is a reckoning song for the silent muses to sing let us search in that deep dark of a world without gods to seek for their voice and set ourselves back on the path that made our forgotten fathers great and until the muses return let us sing brothers of the deeds of our folk and the gods that did make them lest a fate worse than the chaos envelop our children and snuff them out like rats <laughs>